This is exactly right. To listen. To listen to the people you love. To listen to the people who love you. To listen to your children, fathers. Like, spend some time and really listen to them. Like, that is a big thing for them to be seen and to be heard. And you can glean so much about your kid and about you. The listening is the thing I think that connects the fathers and the children in a way that's life-giving and life-saving. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, You can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Why Fathers Cry at Night with Kwame Alexander. Kwame is a poet, educator, publisher, and New York Times bestselling author of 39 books, including Swing, Becoming Muhammad Ali, co-authored with James Patterson, Rebound, which was shortlisted for the prestigious UK Carnegie Medal, the Caldecott Medal, and Newbery Honor-winning picture book. The Undefeated, illustrated by Kadir Nelson, and his Newbery Medal-winning middle-grade novel, The Crossover. His newest releases are The Door of No Return, book one of a new trilogy that is destined to be a game-changer, and an American story. And... His recent memoir, Just Out, Why Fathers Cry at Night, a memoir in love poems, letters, recipes, and remembrances, we will be diving into today. A regular contributor to NPR's Morning Edition, Kwame is the recipient of numerous awards, including the Lee Bennett Hopkins Poetry Award, the Coretta Scott King Author Honor, three NCAACP Image Award nominations, and the 2017 inaugural Pat Conroy Legacy Award. In 2008, he opened the Barbara E. Alexander Memorial Library and Health Clinic in Ghana as part of Leap for Ghana, an international literacy program he co-founded. And as you all know, he is the writer and executive producer of The Crossover TV series on Disney+. Kwame, welcome to the show. Thank you. You got through that bio pretty good, my friend. Man, man, there's just so much, so much. And, um, and first, I just want to say your memoir, raw, vulnerable, and courageous. Yeah, well, I guess those would be the words to describe it. The hardest book I've ever written. Man, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. That was the word that was uh, about to come out of my mouth. And to take so i was on your journey you know everyone who is reading your memoir is on your journey and as i was reading it i would just first of all you know resonated with so much as a father um also i'm always fascinated about how we become who we become and what makes us become who we become and some of those moments were so intimate i almost was it was like am i am I supposed to be involved in this? Like, I mean, I feel like there are times, you know, that I think there's various levels of intimacy and vulnerability and rawness. And, um, sometimes it goes deep. And I was just wondering like, what was the process for deciding like how, where, where to go with this and how much to reveal, um, and, or did it just uncover, did it just happen over time? Wow. So you, I love to entertain and, you know, I'm not really a heavy drinker, you know, 
I've got friends who will, you know, smoke marijuana or, you know, you know, artists and writers, they'll get high or whatever. I've never been into that. But I can get high off of life pretty quickly. And when I do, when I'm with friends, I am unfiltered hmm. about the funny, silly stuff. I've never been unfiltered about myself. And so, but I do have that sort of muscle. Like I know how to do that. And so when I realized I was writing a memoir, that unfiltered muscle kicked in. But this time it kicked in for me mm. and I had no gauge. I just, I just went for it. And so I didn't know how intimate or vulnerable I was being. I really didn't understand it, Dr. Dan, huh. you know, until it was too late. And I remember getting, <laughs> yeah, I remember getting the advanced reading copies of the book and reading it for the first time all the way through and having panic attacks and calling my editor and saying, there's no way we can publish this book. It's just too revealing. Mm. And of course, after she told me the books were in the warehouse, <laughs> <laughs> she sort of began to talk me off a ledge, but I never thought I was writing a memoir. It began as a collection of love poems. And then the love poems began to tell a story. And I said, oh, well, this is interesting. And then I began to write some prose pieces to give context to the poems. And then I included some recipes that were very personal to me from my mother and grandmother. And then I wrote some letters. But yeah, I didn't know it was a memoir until the until it was too late. And I think had I <laughs> had I known what I was doing, I probably wouldn't have written it. But now that I did, I'm glad I did. Yeah. You know, you you know, as I was reading your book, that that unfiltered, I mean that that's that's a good word for it. I was like, wow, like he's just put it all out there. And um about okay, love. thanks a lot for reminding me again, Dr. Yeah, Dick. yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, we're going in a good direction here. We're going in a good direction okay. here. Yeah, okay. this is good, okay. man. Okay. I'm a better I'm a better person for reading your book. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're putting it out there, it's revealing from the reading of it, it seems like, man, this is how you live. Like this is how you live. And then as you wrote towards the end, when you got together with your close friends, you described exactly what you just described to me. You know, you're like, hey guys, am I open? And, and the response was not like, not so much kind of surface with us. And that must've been like, given what you just said, like, whoa. I mean, so were you aware that there was this, this difference that you go deep and unfiltered with everything except yourself? Or was that a new awareness? It was a new awareness because mm -hmm. I've always written poems. And poets, you know, are our heart speakers. Like mm -hmm. we we bear our souls on the page when we're good poets, when we when we're doing when we're when we're writing good stuff. The problem with that is it's metaphor and simile, it's figurative. So you're able to hide behind those images without having to be concrete, without having to be literal. So I'm thinking all these years, oh, I'm a poet. I've been vulnerable from the beginning. And and that's not the case. And so I think uh you know this this book was sort of me being able to to stop hiding and really mm -hmm. be forthcoming and upfront and honest with myself. You know, and I think the vulnerability has has bred some sort of authenticity and just allowed me to have a better relationship with, you know, myself and with the people I love and who love me. Mm -hmm. Unintended positive consequences or in intended, but you could not have known truly. Right. That, yeah. That, yeah. Oh man. The results have been just so beautiful and powerful, man. And empowering. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say I'm glad I did it. Right. I'm glad I had the sense enough to actually do it, even if it, if, if it was my subconscious directing me, because the relationships that I have, you know, as they, they are growing in a way that is so po powerful and positive and serving me. And, mm -hmm. and I just feel better about myself. And, 
and I sleep better at night. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm like, why didn't I do this before I turned 54? Like, why did I wait <laughs> so long? So it feels good. Yeah. It wasn't time. Man, to be able to talk to my dad now and have these mm-hmm. kind of really cool, open conversations is so, it's so, it's just so neat. It's been so needed and I just love it. And, mm-hmm. and from being afraid, thing. from being afraid to ask the questions. Right. To right. coming up with endless questions to ask. Like it's, it's not even a thing anymore. This dude, you know. In all of my years, my father has never uttered the words, I'm sorry. And he sent me a text about two months ago. He, I think he had heard an interview I had done about the book. <laughs> he just sent me a random text at 11 o'clock at night. And he said, I'm sorry for the situation I put my family in 44 years ago. Mm. It was just so random and so beautiful. Yeah. He's like, I should have I should have never done that. My father would never, he would never say that. Yeah. So for him to be able to say that, like I feel like this book, this book was a portal. Like it opened a door for my whole family, not just me, but for all of us to just have a more real relationship with each other and just be more forthcoming and honest and mm-hmm. and have hard conversations. Yeah. 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 A portal portal forward and backward right it like connects Con- it connects the generations now i have to ask that situation he put you in was that on the turnpike when you guys were upside down and you're chasing books or was you know off the freeway or is that a different one it's a different one but he, he okay. would never, yeah he would never <laughs> apologize for that because you know, <laughs> that's a part of his sort of that's a part of my bookish journey as it were like yeah i would i wouldn't be the writer yeah. i am had he not done stuff like that so he was a powerful figure. Um, if you're listening, you are a powerful figure. Um, and as you as you pointed out, I really enjoyed um, your interview with Terry Gross on Fresh Air. And mm-hmm. she asked, she asked a question early on, and you about him and your relationship with him and how he's influenced you. And you basically said, "Hey, Terry, I would not be who I am." Like bottom line, reg- like cut through it all bottom line i would not be who i am without him and without how he raised me and what he showed me right and it's true Mm -hmm. you know and i hope i have that type of impact on my kid Mm -hmm. you know for better or for worse my dad whatever he did i'm me i've written 39 books right like i you know i became the person who he nurtured me to become i hope i have that sort of impact on my kids Mm -hmm. you know i do and so i try to extend him a lot of grace Mm -hmm. in the way that he loved that i didn't necessarily agree with because i hope my kids extend me some grace man yeah yeah and you're in it i'm the manchurian candidate of literature (laughs) <laughs> like my parents molded and shaped and created me. Yeah. Like, I didn't yeah. find right. I didn't find writing. Writing found me. Well, and you tried to get away from it as much as you could after you were, you know, forced to read, um, you know, both your parents, educators, your dad, a preacher, a publisher, an author where everything was about books and words and selling books and getting the word out. And you tried to run from it as fast and as hard as you could when you got out of the house at tech, right? Like I'm gone. And then life happens. Life in the form of organic chemistry, my friend. (laughs) then you're running from that (laughs) like maybe biochemistry is not the thing for me and Mm -hmm. and then i met a woman and i didn't know how to really woo her she was above my station as it were and (laughs) and so i wrote her love poems and so i turned back to writing and then i i had a professor nikki giovanni who taught me poetry Mm -hmm. so i found my way back to this thing that i had tried to run from 
and it just felt comfortable. But this time I was able to do it on my terms. Yes. And through the lens of poetry, which as my father reminded me when I graduated from college, you'll never, you can't make any money off of poetry. It's not going to work. Um, but that was going to be my re-entry into this love of literature. I was going to, you know, find it through love poems. Um, and, you know, I guess it worked out. <laughs> I guess it did. Um, you mentioned Nikki Giovanni and, um, wow, what a powerful, enduring relationship, um, that, yeah that you the special relationship that you have and as she as a as a you know what is she an auntie a parent uh like what how would you because it's i mean it's special where are you from i'm from california you're in california now i am are your people from the south by any chance no they're not because you said auntie like you from the south like you get it that's beautiful. I'm I impressed. To, I tend to be contextual. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That just oh. came out though. I didn't, I didn't actually didn't even, that, that was pre-thought. It just happened. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. She's, uh, <clears throat> I would say, you know, in her words, she would say she's my literary mother. Mm-hmm. Or I'm her literary son. She did say that. Indeed. When my when my mother passed in 2017, Nikki came to the funeral, even though she doesn't really go to funerals. And I asked her, why did she come? And she said, because you need to know you still have a mother. Mm. And so that's what she is to me, man. Mm -hmm. You know, she just turned 80 on June the 7th. Mm. She's my she she's she's one of my mothers who's still walking this earth and and cooking for me and inspiring mm -hmm. me and and challenging me and giving me something to work towards and and look up to. So mm -hmm. you know, it's it's been a 30-year friendship, mentorship, mother-son relationship and it's mm -hmm. it means everything. Mhm. Mm As I was as you were recounting your experiences with her in her classes and you know you how you felt as we got through it and you came to the other side with respect uh and mutual respect and adoration i was thinking man she was hard on you she was really hard on you and your dad was hard on you <laughs> and right. they both pulled in again, I want to say maybe intended in some unintended ways, they pulled the best out of you in ways that were often not feeling that good. You know, you made me so you're right, you're accurate, and it made me think what you just said that it made me remember that I was, you know, I was sort of a knucklehead, <laughs> like I was a cut up. I was precocious as a kid. I got the most spankings. I got into trouble. So, you know, I'm I didn't I'm I wasn't cool. Like I didn't get cool till very recently. I was gonna say you you weren't always how you are now. <laughs> no, so when I but when I think about it, I have a nephew, his name is Jordan, he's 10 years old. And Jordan can Jordan's a great kid. I love this kid. We have the best relationship. And he, he he gets in his feelings and has a little bit of a, you know, a pouting, you know, sort of bout or he gets in trouble or he has to go sit down, gets in timeout. Like I was that kid. And so when I think about how you would reach a kid who's sort of not a troublemaker, but always in the stuff and all and maybe acting up and misbehaving, you got to kind of employ some tough love. And so my father probably knew that and and Nikki saw whatever kind of arrogant kid I was in college and she had to deal with that. So maybe these are the these were the ways they wanted they needed to deal with me mm. to sort of put me in my place 
at the same time, give me wings. Like, how do you balance both of those things at the same time without sort of just, you know, putting the hammer down and and silencing my voice and 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 not allowing me to become who I would eventually become like that. When I think about it, it's pretty genius of them. (laughs) It was necessary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, as you said, like you are who you are because. Right. It's it's uh, so fascinating. And and. And you kept going back to her, you kept going back to her classes, right? Even when you were like, no, I'm not right. I'm not taking a class with her again. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I would imagine like. You got somebody or you got people in your life, in your past who who kind of pushed you in a way that maybe you didn't appreciate or recognize. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like we all got that. We didn't come into who we are by ourselves. Right. And hopefully we were smart enough. I was smart enough to keep going back to her class, even when I ain't like her. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. We are, we are parented. And then lo and behold, we are in the position of parenting. Mm. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, when we, it just seems when we are being parented, we're really clear about what we like and what we don't like and what we would do differently <laughs> or not. And then we become a parent. And it's this, to me, it's just like juxtaposition, this, the synthesis of who we are as people now in a role of taking on the role, this job, this very important job, this, this, this parenting thing. And it often doesn't go like we think it's going to go. Does it ever? (laughs) Apparently not. Apparently not. Man, my mother used to come in my room after she punished me by sending me to my room because she knew that I hated being alone. So that was my punishment. (laughs) She'd come into my room and I'd be in my room. I hate her. I hate that woman. And she would proceed to sing a song or recite a funny poem. She'd re- maybe she'd recite my favorite book as a kid, as a three-year-old. Fox, socks, Knox, box, fox and socks, socks and box. And good old Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. And I, I'd start smiling. And as soon as I started smiling, she'd walk out the room. I'm still on punishment, but I'm no longer mad. Like I, but I'm mad that I'm not mad now. <laughs> so when my daughter, who's 14 now, gets upset and she goes into her room, I immediately go in and try to make her laugh. <laughs> and one time, Dr. Dan, she said, Dad, why do you do this? Why do you keep coming in and trying to make me laugh? And I said, because I don't want you to be angry. She said, sometimes it's okay to sit in your anger, Dad. Whoa. <laughs> and I'm like, what just wow. happened? Wow. Because I have no response and she's correct. But I'm trying, I'm doing this thing that was done to me. Right. It's like we're trying to discover how to be parents and it's the hardest job in the world and it's on the job training and it's just trial by fire. It's like you figure it out and, and then you hopefully listen and learn. Yes. And as I've learned, man, like this idea that we're supposed to be the ultimate teachers, it's, I just, there's only some, a grain of truth in that. I I feel like our kids, as they, as they age, they teach us so much, not only about ourselves, but about life. And it's like there that she did that judo on you. All of a sudden the child becomes the parent and the parent becomes the child right in that moment. In that moment. Yeah. They're they're here to teach us about ourselves. Just like we're here to teach them. Mm -hmm. We we don't never stop learning and growing. Like like I say in the book, I'm not a grown man. I'm a growing man. Yes. I love that. So true, dude. It's so true. Mm -hmm. So, Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just try to listen to her a lot more because, yeah, mm, out of the mouths. Out of the mouths. 
Um, you mentioned your mom and special woman, another powerful person and powerful presence and um, a tremendous loss. Yeah. Yeah, it's a new normal, man. Like you never get fully, I never have gotten fully used to it or, I mean, you accept it. But it's 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 been six years. It's September the first, and there are times, there are days I'll wake up or something will happen, and I'll say, "Ooh, let me call mom," and then I have to catch myself, like, "Dude, you can't call her like that." So it's just a new normal that you accept, and you and you keep moving forward, and uh, I think you you remember. You try to remember the, you know, have those precious memories. You write about it. You write about her. You ha- the people around you. You talk to them about her. So, but man, it's 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 like what grief is like the last translation of love. Mm. So, yeah, the love never, the love never dies. You mm-hmm. got that. Well, and it's a book, your memoir, it's a book of love. It's love, loss, love, loss. (laughs) I don't don't know if that's, if that fits, but it's, it's these, I'm, I'm, you know, for everyone not looking, I'm making these like waves with my, with my hands here. It's like, right. It's just, it's like ungulations of life, relationship, uh, endings and beginnings. It's the woe and the wonder. It's the tragedy mm-hmm. and the triumph. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the love and the loss. That's exactly what it is. They're they're, they're one in the same. This continuum of love is is beginning. It's always beginning and and it's ending. And it's just it's just one sort of thing. It's not mm-hmm. it's not isolated, and so. You're on that journey. And I think that's what that book ended up becoming for me. It's it's an exploration of the journey that I'm on of, of, of understanding and appreciating and respecting and love. And so it's like when I got to the end of the book, you know, it's like, man, it's not over. The book is over, but... It ain't over by any no. stretch. No. You know, and I think that I tried to reflect that as as the book came to a close. But I'm definitely further along on this journey of understanding and appreciating and and acting in accordance mm-hmm. with with real authentic vulnerable lo- love than I was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a, and especially after that tour I was on for the book, which each night in each of those eight cities was like a different therapy session. Mm-hmm. And by yeah. the end of that tour, I can honestly say I was a different man. I was mm-hmm. a different person than I was at the beginning. For sure. Hmm. This question is going to sound something since you wrote a book why fathers cry at night and there's even a piece in there listing (laughs) why fathers cry at night and yet i'm still going to ask you now that you're at this point in time why do fathers cry at night well i would suspect it's because we're afraid to do it, you know, during the day, as it were. Like, we're afraid to be open. We're afraid to, to show ourselves in the light. We don't know how. We haven't seen our fathers do it. We haven't seen our grandfathers do it. And so mm. it's a lot safer not to. 
I was in Kenya, East Africa, and I was talking to a gentleman there who was about my age. And I said, do Kenyan men cry? And he said, oh, definitely not. He said, if we were, if we cried as boys, as little boys, we were beaten. We were told that is a show, a sign of weakness. Like this is a, this is a universal problem mm-hmm. of men not being able, not feeling safe, not being taught genuinely and generally to be open. Yeah to be vulnerable, to share, to, to, to display their hearts. And as having been one of those men, you know, I, it, I, I realize it didn't serve me. You know, so I'm trying something different. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have layers upon layers of societal, cultural, familial, paradigms and institutions which raise and train men boys and men to be certain things which as we find out is not all that good for us or the people we love right or the people who love us Uh, yes yes absolutely yes absolutely talked about being alone when you mentioned alone and i i really like this uh this quote this statement that you come to towards the end being alone is not the same as being lonely yeah and i always thought they were Mm -hmm. but being able to spend time by myself to walk on the beach to sit in my house to just be alone in my own thoughts and feelings and i find that so rewarding even now more so because i realize it doesn't mean that i don't have people in my life who love me and who i love It just means that I can take some time and get to know myself and get to appreciate myself and get to to challenge and criticize myself and get to love me wholly and solely. Mm. That's all it means. So, yeah, it's taken me a while to understand that distinction. Is it a new high? I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> hey, look, I ain't that. I ain't that advanced yet. <laughs> now, when it when hey when that happens, it's still a challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's still a challenge. I do it. Like I, you know, you do something twelve times, it becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. So like I force myself to do it, but it's hard. Just like having hard conversations. Some of these things I write about in the book, they're hard, mm-hmm. and it and and I don't necessarily get excited about them all the time. I do them. And the more I do them, the easier it becomes to do them and the more I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So I think eventually the high will come from it. That's my hope. That's my hope, buddy. You're building the muscle. You're building the muscle. Right. That's it. Yeah. A way that your memoir really impacted me is as someone who's who's worked hard to get rid of or keep at bay sort of the perfectionistic thinking, the way things are supposed to be, to do it right, to do it the best. Um, It's really the reminders of the imperfections of real life 
uh, learned from people who are in fully invested in their life, fully invested in their careers, you know, having success, doing their life's purpose. And yet it still happens. Stuff doesn't go right. You make mistakes and it's, it, it's part of the process. And I, I want to, uh, I want to read this other quote from you, which is what I've continued, what I've learned and continue to learn. And what I share in this memoir is the real, realization that fatherhood, much like everything else in life, is often a beautiful mess. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, man. Like, let's embrace that. Let's embrace that. Let's embrace the mess. I mean, it's. It's why we, you know, it's why we have the blues. The blues are like this beautiful, tragic optimism. Hmm. You know, I think mm -hmm. of, uh, when I think of parenting, I think of, uh, I'm a big jazz fan. I don't know if you're into jazz, buddy, mm -hmm. but yeah. So back in the uh, 60s, Herbie Hancock was just starting out and he was playing, he was playing piano for Miles Davis, for, for Miles Davis Quintet. And they were in Stuttgart, Germany, Stuttgart, Germany performing. And, and Herbie played a, a chord that was just the wrong chord. And it was a, it was a mess. Mm. And he knew he was going to hear it from Miles later because Miles was, was very critical and could be extremely ornery. <laughs> and he said the note that Miles played next made Herbie's chord sound beautiful. Uh. And it's this idea of being constructive with our blues. Like, how do we do that? And I think that's a metaphor for parenting, for fatherhood, mm -hmm. for becoming a, a, a better man. Be con you make, you're going to make these mistakes. It's a part of life. What do you do next? Right. It's going to determine who you, you know, who you are and, and what you're going to become, I think. What you do next. Yes. Because it, it's, it's hard when you blow it. Well, there's two different times. There's times that we blow it and we don't know we blew it. <laughs> And there's other times, and then we'll find out, but we don't know it in the moment. And then there are these other times where you just like, from the interaction or the exchange, you just like, oh man, did I mishandle this situation? Um, I'm thinking of one with one of my daughters at one point when there was something going down and my anxiety was going up about the situation. So I said something to her that was so unhelpful and so the antithesis of what I probably should have said. And she said, dad, for someone who does what you do for a living, I cannot believe you just said that to me. Wow. <laughs> and it was like, I knew it when it left my lips. And then when I got that return, it was just like, Oh, like, Oh, I, and, and in the moment, some of these, failures um they, they're huge and then life goes on right and it's just what you said what do you do after right yeah. do we apologize do we give them space do we dig deep in ourselves to understand where did that come from why did that happen and how can i learn from this situation and and i think that is that is as you teach us that's life. And that to me is like the life force, like the keep moving forward to keep, not be grown, to be growing. Mm -hmm. You should write a book, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, man. There, there's so many things that I look back on with my kids and I wish I had done differently. And I just, you know, I, I try to, to move forward. The thing is, sometimes you move forward. Right. 
but the kid is still in this place or has has been impacted by the thing you've said or done in a way that you don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. And so you that's why I'm saying this parenting thing is so hard because you want to arm your you hope to arm your kids with the tools. So that they can process and move forward. But you also got to be prepared for them to deal. They're, they're their own human beings to respond how they're going to respond. It's like when I wrote this book, my therapist said, Kwame, you have the right to write this book and your family has the right to not read it. So don't get upset if nobody reads it <laughs> or they don't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't have any control yeah. over that. Mm. So... Well, yeah, let's go there because you, you talked a little bit about that in the in the interview um, with Terry. Now, even a month later, what would you say is the familial response overall? Well, ironically, it's not so much what they say about the book because it's varied, you know, in, in terms of their responses to the book but it's their responses to me that matter. And to a person, we are all closer. Nice. Nice. So whether you hated the book or not, mm-hmm. we are closer. We are talking. We are, we are a much more communicative family than we've ever been. And I, and you know, I don't pat myself on the back, but I'm going to do it right now. I did that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, everyone, you can write, you can go to family therapy or just write a memoir. Just put it all out there. Well, that's that's wonderful. And again, you didn't even really, the beauty of this is you didn't fully know what you were putting out there. And once it was out there, it was too late. Yeah. And the intentions that you had, maybe even those you couldn't find words to, which I know is not often for you, um, has had an impact maybe even beyond what you could have imagined. Yeah. No, I think you said that right. I, I will pretty regularly get emails or social media messages from people who've read the book and how it's impacted them and how it's made them help them to have a better understanding of their relationship with their child or had a better relationship with their parent. And I could have never imagined that. Or sometimes it's still hard for me to see, like, you know, but I do understand the power of memoir. Intellectually, I get it in terms of, you know, sort of showing the human connection and helping, you know, us as readers be able to understand our plights and our journeys through the eyes of someone else. I get it, but it's it's still surprising to me, and and I'm grateful as well that that the book is resonating with so many people, in particular men. You just said connection, which triggered me there was this other quote that i that just to me embodies everything that you've wrote about and talked about today getting vulnerable and getting real is the connective tissue that binds us together gives us strength defines our purpose and feeds our soul i said that (laughs) pretty deep that's really deep that got me. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. I've, it's it's my it's I've seen it. It's my life. Yeah. You know, it's it's it makes sense, and it's and it's true to me. What at this point in time? Which I'm only holding you this point in time because you were growing. You are a growing man at this point in time. What? would be a message to the fathers that are listening. Is this that question? 
No, but this is a warm up, man. <laughs> it's coming up next. This is the this is the precursor to the question. <laughs> I was in a maybe Charleston, South Carolina, or I was somewhere on book tour, and and a guy, young guy, he said he was in his twenties and he just had his first kid, and he wanted to know what advice I could give him as a father, and I was like. Just wrote a memoir about father. And I don't, I'm not an expert on this. And what I share with him is what I'll share with 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 your listeners. And that is to listen. To listen to the people you love, to listen to the people who love you, to listen to your children, fathers. Like spend mm-hmm. some time and really listen to them. Mm-hmm. Like that is a big thing for them to be seen and to be heard. And you can glean so much about your kid and about you. Mm. The listening is the thing I think that connects the fathers and the children in a way that's life-giving and life-saving. One word, listen. Yep. Yeah. Right, Kwame, here's the question. You ready, man? (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. This is the parent footprint moment question. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. Portrait of a mother to son. Remember in the hospital room when your lungs stopped behaving and the doctor asked if I wanted to shut off the machine, the one loaning you breath. And I asked if you wanted to go home to die in your bed and you squeezed my hand once for yes. There was this moment where I saw in your face a smile the size of a planet, a woman lifting her lavender dress, walking into the water, unburdened, arriving at herself, smelling of honeysuckle, naked with happiness. And even though I'd been the one to ask the question, I was unprepared for your answer, for the drowning sadness that has owned me ever since. There are still answers I need. How you made a fire, pancakes, got four kids bathed and ready each morning, founded a school, spent real time with your parents twice a week, cooked an entire entree and two sides for six people every evening, stayed when he strayed, still believed in love wholly and solely, and danced joyfully around the house like the sea was a part of your body. I've always wondered if you ever cried at night, long after we were dreaming a world. Now you are gone, and I've carried your ashes from one country to another like luggage that I cannot unpack, like little North Stars I cannot touch. I have come to a crossroads no longer wanting to suffocate, waiting to exhale, trying to find my own answers, the right words to say goodbye, to thank you for leaving me with some soul to keep, to finally let go of your hand, to go home, to live, to love anew. I think the irony of my mother passing away is that I promised her that I would take care of everything. And I think in these past six years, it has been a journey of me figuring out how to do that. But because of that moment, because of her no longer being here, if there is some glimpse of positivity or possibility, it is that I am getting closer to figuring out how to be a better brother to my sisters and my brother, how to listen more to my kid like my mother listened to me, how to be a better son to my father. Like the irony is in this moment of my greatest grief, of losing the the first love of my life, I have learned and am beginning to learn how to better love each of the people in my life. 
that was the moment where this journey really truly began. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for your time today and uh, sharing yourself beyond your pages with us. Um, this is, uh, I know you're not an expert in fatherhood, but you are now a role model, my friend. <laughs> you are now a father role model teaching us how to seek to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to be courageous, uh, and uh, to listen. Mm. Thanks for listening to me. I yeah. appreciate you. All right. Let everyone know you got a lot of things going on. You got TV shows. You've got lots of books. You're never you're and you're never done. And now you're 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 working on your trilogy. So tell everyone what do we all need to know and where do we need to go to check it out? Well, thank you all so much for reading Why Fathers Cry at Night. And and I am in I'm on a journey professionally right now where I'm trying to give other authors an opportunity to do what I've done to find and share their voices. So I'm producing a reality show called America's Next Great Author. Nice. And yeah. So go online, America's Next Great Author.com and you all can find out all the details and information about it. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Are, you, are we going to be seeing you? Are you going to be like, are you behind the scenes or are you in it? I am the host. As it you were. are the host. Nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you on the screen. Thank you. And I look forward to continuing to listen to Parent Foot Trap. Foot Footprint. Foot Trap. The parent, it is a trap sometimes here. <laughs> it is a trap. Right. Yes. <laughs> but the yes. Parent Footprint. Yes. That's it. That's it. You got through that. Okay. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And I know you are just thinking about all of the people you are going to send this episode to and share the memoir with. Uh, this is just such a, um, an important conversation. And uh, Kwame, thank you for just being you. You're welcome. Thanks for being part of our community, everyone. Thank you for your five-star reviews. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? Try to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.